0: Good Sunday afternoon. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Thumper, good to see you, my friend. Uh, I uh, I always appreciate the fact that uh, when you come in and start the show the way you do, uh, you're a great friend and you've been uh, a huge supporter of everything we've been doing here, and I just appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Dan. It's always Mm -hmm. a pleasure.
0: We've got a good friend of ours, and I I know you uh, you interviewed Elias clear back in Spokane wow. during Red Pill Number 2, uh, and this has been a long time ago. Uh, wow. And Elias and I have been friends for, geez, I don't know how long. It's been, um, I think, since about 2007 or 2008, Uh, when I first met this man, and uh, he is truly a soul brother, (laughs) Uh, because he understands that what these people want to steal from us that are trying to take over our country is our soul. And we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about how the new establishment is really the old Communist Party of the United States of America and how these people have taken over the top echelons of our government and media and uh, academia, and now they're in the power position, and they are trying to completely shut us down from pointing out the fact that the emperor has no clothes. I think that's about the best way we can put it. Elias, uh, I see you're looking good in your— background there with hollow top in the back uh welcome to the program hey buddy (laughs) (laughs) looking good good
1: to see you there and thanks for all your help on uh, getting me acclimated to that background I i would mention to your audience the mountain range behind me is where dan apple's home is i mean the guy lives in just a wonderful place here in Western Montana. Okay, thanks Dan, it's good to be here, man.
0: Well, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time and you know, they want our souls. I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. And this is a good time to be talking about it on a Sunday afternoon. But uh, these people are deadly serious about destroying humanity as we know it and replacing it with uh, their view of a kind of a transhumanist world. And you've done some really good writing and research. And incidentally, I want to mention that uh, Elias started a website called The Mental Militia in about 2000, late 90s or 2000. And he had that site up and running, and in fact, uh, he was approached by Stuart Rhodes clear back in 2007 about uh, starting a new group called uh, the Oath Keepers. And Elias is one of the original founding members of that group with Stuart Rhodes and some uh, very good other people that got involved. And it's kind of gone off the tracks now because of all the mess of the uh, January 6 things and some of the things that uh, Stuart got involved in. very honestly. But uh, you've been talking about resurrecting another group like that uh, that is kind of a holographic group that uh, doesn't have any particular leadership per se as an individual, and rather is an idea that uh, his time is definitely here. And uh, I I, will talk about that. We've got plenty of times to discuss all these things, but I thought i better lead into that because uh, a lot of people think you're just uh, just kind of a crusty old hippie from Montana but the fact is, you've got one of the best minds I've ever I've ever had a chance to run across. And oh, uh, you're a, an incredibly deep thinking, brilliant man, and I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, your friendship has been really, really valuable to me.
1: Well, wow, man. Uh, thank you for the flowers, Dan. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say. Uh, I, I'll say this briefly. I did create a Yahoo club back in 1999, named it the Mental Militia, and it was an online discussion group which has some way or another managed to stay online in different venues, across different venues, ever since. Uh, In October of 2020, uh, some varmints, decided to hack my websites, all three of them, and uh, I lost control of the mentalmilitia.net. And thankfully, some people who, I, I called in my support group, sent in enough money that I could spend quite a few hundred bucks and move that domain over to some secure servers so if anyone gets a notice that you sent out about this show and they want to see about the mentalmilitia.net, please just know we just moved that domain last week. I have not had time yet to load the site, but the site is there now and will be loaded with the help of some of our good oathkeeper retired police officers in lower upstate New York. So things are happening, and yes, indeed, the mental militia was about regimenting the content of one's mind because it's important to take control of one's mind. I know you know Mark's website is dealing with uh, self-governance. You you don't get to be a self-governing entity, until you can control your own mind i mean that's a foregone conclusion <laughs> all right all right that's a, that's the answer to protecting our soul in order for the, for the, any of these deep state actors to come into our personal life they have to first approach us through the mind if we are self-owning individuals and we govern our own mental planes and complex everything, we can defend against this encroachment by these insane, woke-minded, idiotic, status-minded people that are trying to put America, the Republic, to rest permanently. And I'm just, I'm an old guy with long years of harboring a, a, a pro, I have a problem with external authority we put it that way mm-hmm. I learned Me too. <laughs> we read these books you know and we start learning things as the years go by and a lot of experiences pile up and you know, things start coming clear and you see the patterns and that reveals the plans that have been carried out or, are being carried out, and you you start to realize, my goodness, maybe our claim to freedom depends on first recognizing that the spirit of creation installed us in and with these bodies here on earth with a soul as intermediary between the spirit world and our physical world. Our soul is only approachable through our minds. And they know it. And I, I can tell you what, you, you know, you're familiar with the, the name Edward Bernays. Oh, yeah. Freud's, yeah, Freud's nephew wrote the book called Propaganda in 1928, or he published it in 28. Mm-hmm. But I have, and let me see, I don't know if I could get this up, Um, maybe anybody can see it.
0: No, I don't you screen share?
1: Uh, Well, I don't know. I don't know how to do a screen share, but I've got a book here called Crystallizing Public Opinion, and it's by Edward Bernays, and it was published five years before he published Propaganda. Hmm. Crystallizing Public Opinion, is dealing with the collective consciousness of the American people through the media, through government proclamation, through social institutions, cultural uh, traditions and institutions, advertising, you know, the the entertainment world, all of this is is the collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. That consciousness is created first by each individual human being who has a mind in our country. 300 plus million of us. Those minds are all working together are the collective consciousness. The individual mind is where we individually, in my opinion, can fight back against this communistic, totalitarian, authoritarian madness that we've been seeing coming out of the Washington District of Columbia, man, first we own ourselves, then we're good to go. When you love yourself, respect yourself, honor yourself by monitoring the content of your mental states, your soul is a joyous compadre. It's with you everywhere you go, and you see through the soul's eyes as you're encountering your fellow man, your good neighbors, the stranger at your gate. It's all wonderful. So self ownership is the opposite of slavery. The authoritarian idiocy called this wokeism and all of this collective stuff. And all of that is powerless. To approach your soul, if you own your mind. So, is that a good enough introduction for a crazy yeah. up in Montana? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's that's a great one. And as a matter of fact, I I'm, I'm glad you brought up Edward Bernays because he became first involved with the U.S. government. Uh, he was actually hired by the Wilson administration to create propaganda that would demonize the germans and bring the united states into world war 1 they started doing that as far back as uh 1914 the first year of the war they were uh treating uh using propaganda to to uh do cartoons with german soldiers smashing babies heads uh Against uh, stone walls and things like that, and it was done by Edward Bernays to uh, to get the American people interested in being involved in World War One. Well, after World War One, then he was hired by the cigarette companies. Uh, the tobacco companies to get everybody in the country smoking cigarettes as a, as a wonderful status <laughs> thing. He also is the person uh, who created breakfast uh, in the traditional sense of Americans where uh, bacon and eggs became a traditional breakfast in America where, in fact, that had been a dinner uh, dish before, but uh, he was paid by the, uh, the pork industry to make bacon a popular breakfast food as well. So there's all kinds of history that goes with this, and propaganda, Sigmund Fro- Freud's uh, nephew is a great place to start with, the whole system of propaganda that now permeates everything in our culture and everything our government does. Is that a good second lead-in?
1: <laughs> well, I think we're both on the same frequency here, young man. <laughs> yes. I believe so. Oh, yeah. Let uh, me ask a question uh, about this share screen button down here? Mm-hmm. Should I hit that button or just leave it No,
0: on? only if you've got something you want to share uh, on the screen on. If you've got something that you want to share, then you're welcome to do that. But let's uh, let's hold off on that until we get a chance to practice it uh, uh, off the program <laughs> because I've got a feeling we could end up getting in a bit of a mess.
1: Yeah, well, you know me real well, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you. I really need to keep a teenager around just to keep me fresh up on technology stuff. Uh, I'm so old, I'm like a dog that don't want to learn any new tricks. Uh, Man, I get lost with it quick. So thank you for that second introductory there, Dan, and yeah, man, we we know that we, the people, own our government, Uh, that is a given. It works for us as long as we require that it does. It it won't work for us unless we require it to do what its founding legal charter says it should do. Uh, That Constitution, I mean, Ron Paul was right, Dan. He was right. We got to get back into the Constitution, put the whole damn government back into the limitations and disabilities warranted to, given to it, granted, enumerated in the Constitution that created the federal government. That's one good answer. But I tell you, I'm 50 miles from the nearest red light. I'm out in the doggone woods. I'm way away from the government. But I don't have a problem with them. And why that is, obviously, is because I value my inner authority, which comes through my soul into me. I come it comes through the soul. I value that authority because it's natural. It's connected to the creation, the creator, whatever put us here. It's all connected. And it is not man-made. Okay? And when you look at all the governments in all the worlds around the whole big planet, all those governments are man-made institutions.
0: Exactly.
1: Mankind has always demonstrated that he is a fallible creation. He 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 can, you know, crash a few planes trying to learn how to create an airplane that would actually fly. You know, I mean, we've made every kind of mistake in the world. So, at any rate, you know.
0: Well, uh, Elias, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you at that point with a comment. Uh, mm-hmm. What you're talking about, and that was the unique thing about the American experiment, was that we were created understanding that we are living under God's law, under natural law, and we have something in the United States is totally different than any other government in the world, and that was that we were formed with the idea of unalienable rights. Our rights were given to us by nature's God, and we are a creation that only exists because of God, and we uh, are—government should only exist as an extension— of that creation, and as a tool to assure the freedoms that we have under the idea of unalienable rights. How's that?
1: <laughs> totally agree, man. Unalienable rights—that uh, they, they cannot put those rights inside you, and they cannot take them out of you. They are part of life and nature, and every breath you take. You're breathing in unalienable rights. It's part of creation. It's part of life. So, but well, what what in the world? I mean, they 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 don't want us to know these things, Dan. Right, right. They don't want us to know it. But uh, thanks to the CIA's uh, craziness, you know, the CIA and imported all the LSD that Sandoz Corporation was making into this country and Canada many years ago, and by George, uh, there's been a massive blowback because of that, because a lot of people, like myself, found out by doing LSD that one can find out the layers of consciousness See the nature and structure, the metaphysical mechanics of consciousness itself. And that gives us a power to see through the illusions that the mass media has been presenting. And I'll tell you one of the best, one of the best choreographed orchestrated vibes I have seen lately is that January 6th committee. Mm-hmm. Boy, they put on the seven big nationwide dis- displayed productions. They were theatric productions. And that damn Liz Cheney, bless her soul, she's a real call for forgiveness if I ever saw one. <laughs> Just, you know, and you got to forgive them because obviously they don't know what they're really doing. A bunch of sold souls are sitting up there pushing statism as if, a man-made government, should control what you and I see and think.
0: Elias, can I say something at that? (laughs) And I'm going to use this example. Liz Cheney is a perfect example (laughs) of of, uh, what's wrong with this country. Now, Liz Cheney absolutely hated Donald Trump. And people say, well, why did she have that incredible hatred for Donald Trump? Well, because Trump was a 9/11 truther, and he <laughs> questioned what happened on 9/11, and said that he thought the the Bush and Cheney administration were very likely deeply involved in the Twin Towers and Building Seven being totally demolished. Now. Uh, he said that publicly before he ever ran for for uh, political office, and I guarantee you that Liz Cheney's daddy was uh, pooping, <laughs> pooping bricks with the idea that uh, Trump was going to figure out uh, a way to reawaken the nine eleven commission. What do you want to bet about that?
1: Well, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, you, you know. I have a personal friend of Richard Gage, who created Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. I love that guy. I've been around the state of Montana with him. for at least six different speaking engagements. He's just magnificent. And I have understood ever since 2004, maybe, that all roads about... intersect with Dick Cheney. Nobody wants to tell you, CNN won't admit it, but four months before 9-11, Bush, the shrub, put Cheney in charge of all consequence management exercises, including the war game drills going on on the morning of 9-11. Cheney was orchestrating the four war game drills that prevented our defense system from intercepting four hijacked major public airlines flying around for a damn hour over uh, one of the most protected airspaces on the planet. And no no jets came to take care of them, okay? Cheney was in charge of those kind of things. So, yeah, his daughter, she, (laughs) poor girl, you know, maybe she's trying to cover for dad you know oh i'm sure she is yeah well we'll forgive her and maybe she'll grow up and learn better one day so you know truth is more important than anything else more important than political power quests more important than building wealth truth truth is food for the soul back to that soul thing again (laughs) go ahead dan no,
0: i'm I'm uh, I'm just listening, but you're absolutely right. Uh, w- without a soul, the soul, the soul is the uh, the essence of humanity. If we did not have a soul, we would be just like any other creature on earth. Uh, the unique thing about humans is that we do have, A soul, and that soul, as you say, is our way of interfacing with our creator and also differentiating us from any other species.
1: Yeah, you know, I like working with animals, and I notice dogs and cats, uh, even birds, even the wild birds out here in the woods. I can actually train birds, uh, and they learn. My, they learn how my behaviors will produce a pile of pecan chips, for instance. Okay? And, but animals can learn, and so we can learn, too, just like animals do. However, we can know something and also, at the same time, know that we are knowing something. And that's where the soul comes in. The soul, I call it like the seat of awareness where you're you're aware of your thoughts you're aware of your knowledge but you're not your knowledge and you're not your thoughts you are the awareness of those but mechanically speaking in social constructs we're all dealing with person to person relationships professional relationships business all of these things that the the soul itself is our animation for where did we want to go in the world why are we here what what are we doing here so I just think it's it's fascinating to me to to realize I know and I can be aware that I know while I'm knowing uh that's ownership of my mental capabilities that I was born with I wasn't educated or me, I'll put it this way I wasn't fed educated uh, past high school so I didn't get conditioned and programmed and brainwashed uh, like the academia would have worked on me with uh, when I was growing up so I'm just kind of free to hang out inside my soul and and see through the awareness which is how how you learn stuff you know being aware of If you run over a a nail with your car and have a flat tire, you you learn about avoiding nails on the road or whatever. You know, just learning. So anyway, it's all good for me. It's all happy. And I see the solution to all of our psychological and political stress is simply Mm -hmm. self-knowledge. It's in a story I wrote a long time ago. Heirs to self knowledge shed gently their fears. The, to know yourself, you got to look within. And looking within, you realize your connection to creation because you still got a soul going on there that puts you there. So that's the elimination of fear. And one thing the damn federal government does not want us to know is that we absolutely. Do not need to fear it. They, they, the whole psychological thing. Well, let's see, what does Bernays say again? Uh, cr- that book, "Crystallizing Public Opinion." Crystallizing public opinion. Uh, we can beat that at the individual level, and very many of us doing that. Uh, I- I'm saying it sparked a worldwide consciousness revolution. Mm-hmm. You know who Brzezinski was, you know. Um, he, he has a big new Brzezinski and you had uh, Henry Kissinger, the, what I call the neap and nape of the Rockefeller chariot. Mm-hmm. Those two birds. But Brzezinski wrote a book, which is really an awesome book. It's called Strategic Vision. And in that book, Dan, he's telling... The deep state players, the Rockefellers, the Morgans, the, the Rothschilds, the, the big, the, the Bank for International Settlements. he's telling all of these players, the what they call stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And we have a consciousness of waking up going on here because the instant communication furnished by the internet worldwide and the people, the proletariat types. The the previously naive and oblivious uh, people who were just struggling to survive in all the cultures around the world, they are suddenly waking up to seeing the patterns exuded by this political madness that's the New World Order, your Agenda 30, and all all of this mess. They're waking up. And Brzezinski published this, and he said they resent the licensed corruption of their leaders. Mm-hmm. That's, that's in Strategic Vision by Brzezinski. Mm-hmm. So, just tickles me to death. See, he wrote that book for the, the power players. You know, Mr. Gates, read this because this is one of the things that's going to mess up your wet dream about vaccinating every kid born on earth. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway.
0: Well, Elias, um, something that you're saying that's so important for people to understand, they, evil, evil gains its strength from fear and from, uh, from uh, distress and from depression. They gain their strength from the misery of society. We gain our strength from the joyousness and the freedom and the loving relationships within society, the love for one another, uh, the you know, a, a real true understanding of the difference between good and evil is the difference of understanding between uh, hatred and, and negativity and fear, Versus love and reflection and understanding ourselves. Am I off base saying that,
1: man? I can run with that one. <laughs> You're so cool. I just love talking with you, Dan. Every time we do, but um, okay, I, I, I I'm going to throw a new a new twist on our conversation just a little bit. What if, and I cannot prove this, and I'm not teaching it to anyone or preaching it, but what if, for conversational purposes, we consider that in the back of my mind and in anybody else's mind, in the back of any mind, there are two vortexes through which all thought material emanates into consciousness, Okay. And one of the, I, I see it as two vortexes. Each of them is exuding or uh, uh, extending thoughts into the conscious mind. And one of those I call love's thought system. Now, all the thoughts that come through that vortex of love's the vortex, love's thought system. Those thoughts are loving thoughts. The other is fear's thought system that uh, in other words i i, I kind of i feel like and like i said i can't prove it but i feel like all thoughts can be relegated back to two sources either fear fear-based thinking processes or loves thought system and once we know that, and we also know that our soul gives us this power to be aware of what we're watching across the screen of our mind, when our thoughts come parading by, whatever mood we're in, and we have this ability to be aware of it, and that is, is it, that's just the process that unleashes every uh, every potential for us. We we have all this incredible power by simply owning our minds choosing love's thought system over fear's thought system when when i catch myself being envious or feeling like oh shoot somebody just screwed me over and that guy cut me off in traffic or whatever you know, i just say to myself hey dude like um, you know man that's a pure thought so out the window it goes and replace it with a loving thought What a beautiful oak tree that is. I'm just driving by. Oh, my goodness. Keeping my my emotional center focused in the joy and the beauty, the health, the happiness, the perfection of love. Wow. So Mm -hmm. now, if I'm doing all of that to myself in my daily routines, which I am, then I am next practicing my own damn kind of mind control. Sure. Okay? You are. Sure. You are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That beats the hell out of letting a television set control my mind.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely okay. correct. Well, sure. uh, yeah. Elias, I'm gonna say something and I, I don't wanna put you on a in, in any kind of a um a spot here. But you 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 were a Marine and you were in Vietnam and you were you, you saw some things there that really shaped uh your life. It, you got out of the marines, you became a hippie for a number of years. Uh in <laughs> fact, you're still a lot of people say you're kind of a hippie, you know. <laughs> uh but but the fact is is that a lot of that came from your I guess your recollection that the world was not what we were being told. And when you saw the reality of what was going on in Southeast Asia and Vietnam, um, you know, it had a huge impact on your life and <laughs> it turned right. you into the, the person that you are now. And uh, all I can say is that uh, a lot of people don't have the ability to learn from the negativity that you have. And that's the positive of taking bad thoughts and turning them into good thoughts through a process of understanding that uh, the, the fear and the hatred and all the things that they want us to do, uh, <laughs> we, we can we can avoid those. We can get around them.
1: Well, and I'm glad you brought it up. Yes, I am an honorably discharged U.S. Marine. I was a Corporal E-4, got a promotion in the field in Vietnam to sergeant. But it was the week before I was to fly home, my enlistment expired. So I ended up just being a Corporal. But I learned more than a good man ought to have to learn. By serving with the Marines on the ground in that hellhole, which we turned into a hellhole, that was a beautiful tropical country. When and I have been in the field many times. I've discovered pagodas out there in the forest. I used to walk around like as if I was being protected by a guard all invisible screen or something. I mean, they're killing Marines every day out there, and I go taking field trips, right? Mm-hmm. But I saw a culture that was quite content to live in tune with nature. I watched how they irrigate the rice paddies and all these things, what the school children did in groups, you know. But I also saw the terror and the horror in a real life, you know. Yeah, so I started thinking about 20 years after I got out of that war, I started thinking real heavily. But what the immediate reaction was when I got back home, went back down to Tennessee, and to want to start undoing what I had been doing. Um I I I will say this publicly, and I am simplified, Esprit de corps, died in the wool, happy Marine. And Marines are always Marines. But the Vietnam War, our participation in that was an international war crime. Mm-hmm. It was uh, horrendously painful for the Vietnamese people, the landscape, the vegetation, the animal life, everything. I, to this day, have skin issues over the damn Agent Orange that I briefed while I was on the ground there, which Monsanto or DuPont or all the companies that created that dioxin poison sold it to the government and they sprayed on us i still got problems from breathing the air over there okay so it occurred to me long about two years after i was home if the marine corps could take a sensitive poetically inclined reverent uh polite respectful little country boy and send him through Paris Island, South Carolina, and turn him into a wanton warrior mentality uh, that is itching to go overseas and shoot people he doesn't even know for the flag, for glory, for America, all this. If they could put that mindset over all the Christian background I grew up with, all of the sensitive and... and Loving types of being a part of the American culture in which I grew up. They would move that out of my mind, put the military method in my mind, and they made me do a whole lot of chin ups and pull ups and push ups and all this kind of took a whole lot of uh, verbal abuse in boot camp just to learn how to be a Marine. So, if all of that could happen, what if I could? reprogram my own consciousness by starting to pay attention to what's going on in my mind. So I I decided, best thing to do here, the war didn't make any sense, the government's not making any sense, and uh, I'm not making any sense because of it, and da-da-da-da-da. I'm gonna wipe the whole slate clean, Pew, just wipe the whole slate out and start over, and I'm going to remake myself the way I want me to be. And that's been the journey I've been on ever since, just a couple of years after I got out of the war, that's when it started. About 20 years later, I knew we got some serious problems here in in that uh, inner beltway over at WDC. So, yeah, now, I am now, thankfully, a very, very happy, and I feel spiritually fulfilled. It's like I'm not looking for any more programs that will help me find the truth. I'm full of the truth because I know nothing, and I know that I know nothing. I know that the perception is what your soul wants you to have. Which is the perception that you are connected to your Creator. Now, cause and effect are never separate. If God created man, God is the Creator, He is the cause. Man is the created, He is the effect of the cause. Mm-hmm. Cause and effect in physics, in in metaphysics, it's never—they're never separate. So we are always connected to the source of our own lives, the creation, what Jefferson called "Nature's God." We are always connected, and the damn deep state has tried every trick ever since they created radio and then television, and uh, you know all all the communication manipulations that they've got out there now for mind controlling what does he say again crystallizing public opinion Uh, in spite of all of that we really are connected to a higher authority inside ourselves so man uh, it takes learning for me because I'm not an educated guy and I'm not a smart guy Again, I've read a lot of books, and I really like the books, but I'm not a really intelligent kind of guy. Just a country boy who's grown old and uh, may have spent too much time in the cities of man while I was growing old. But happy to be living and realizing I'm in a position to witness something that is so staggeringly impossible to put into words. The fate of mankind, the fate of human history, the accumulation of all these centuries and millennia of progress and learning language, learning to see three-tenths of time, learning the six directions of space. All of this stuff man has done and now we're flying satellites around the planet beaming 5g at ourselves and, <laughs> and <laughs> electromagnetic pollution devices like cell phones that they can throw at us uh, but it's interesting as I'll get out but there's the and the worst well let's go to, let's go to breaking events mr trump just turned himself in and was arrested fingerprinted and had a mug shot uh and what happened to his polls? Right up through the roof. Everybody say, oh my God, that's true. There is a deep state. They are out to steal our government. And men alive, they're waking up in groves. So, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to end. I'm not making any predictions. I'm just really interested in being aware that I'm alive here, seeing a beautiful, natural, created world that's run amok through uh, this human society is run amok in the middle of a beautiful world. And uh, they're doing, you know, well, you know what's going on out there. But Trump being arrested, I think, may have been the final straw and the deep state has pushed just a little bit too much. The COVID itself was a big wake up call, arresting a, pre- a former president. <laughs> but the politically involved uh, debaters across, across our society, this is really big, mm-hmm. really big. So I don't know. Yeah. Where I-
0: and they're not uh, they're not stopping on the notion now of the uh, uh, second pandemic. They're uh, pushing that whole narrative and mm-hmm. they're pushing the, the uh, uh, masking and the vaccine and all this other crap. And if people haven't figured out by now the mess that we're in and that the only recourse, is to just say no and refuse uh is as uh, gandhi did just refuse to play the game y- you know that's all we have to do if 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 uh 300 million Americans just stood up and said, you know, we've had a gut full of your crap and we're not going to play the game anymore. We're not going to we're not going to pay our taxes. We're not going to do all the crap that you are using against us to try to destroy us. And by God, we're going to come to Washington and we're going to have trials and we're going to have uh, courts marshals uh, for the commander-in-chief and all the people who are doing or perpetrating this kind of uh, evil against the American people. Boy, howdy, would that change things in a hurry?
1: Hmm. You know, Carl Watner and Wendy McElroy co-founded the Voluntarist Movement back in, I think, 1982 or so. And Carl Watner is on record saying, and I'm proud of him for saying it, but if we, the people, just turn our backs on it and walk away from it, it'll fall of its own dead weight. Right? There's no truer statement possible. All we got to do is we got to turn our backs on it, walk away, peacefully have our relationships in our communities, our states, uh, you know uh, uh, and live without the damn thing, okay We have you, you remember when when uh, the 13 colonies defeated the biggest military on earth and they created the Articles of Confederation between these 13 new nation state republics. each of those states had a constitution. And to come into the United States of America these days, all, all the states have to have a constitution. They are sovereign nation-state republics. And <clears throat> so the 13 of them create this Articles of Confederation, which is a precursor to or the model for what we see as the European Union. The European Union is a confederation of nation-state republics and or whatever any of them might as be uh, there might be some communists in there i don't know there are few. but there's their nation states in a compact called the european union the way our government runs as our each of our states is a sovereign nation state republic as uh, lieutenant colonel karen kwakowski says her vision is 50 sovereigns, nation-state republics from sea to shining sea, owning the damn federal government that the states created, Mm -hmm. owning the federal government, and we, the people owning our states, thereby, vicariously, we own the federal government. Mm -hmm. So that knowledge... It's, it, it'll stand in any argument or debate. I mean, it's on, all of this is on the record. <laughs> so we can turn our backs on it. We, we start, again, it all starts with the individual. The individual has to say, my goodness, I think it's time for me to make a stand. It's time for me to actually decide Okay, I've been watching all this develop for the last 30 years or 40 years or whatever, and it's getting worse and more and more rotten by the moment. Maybe it's time I just make a stand and start talking to my fellow man about what in the world can we do to get this thing back under control? That's, that's the, the purpose in the mental militia as as a discussion area is let's talk about these kind of things. Uh, let's learn to go inside our own minds and connect psychologically with the spirit of creation through our soul. We can do this, and a group of us doing it, well, well, I'll just tell you, What what did I have, about over a million people on January the 6th They were at Trump's rally?
0: Yeah, I was one of them, and I'm proud to say that. Um, There were—we estimated, and we we counted uh, as many people as we could, but there was no way you could count it. But uh, we estimated by the amount of people that were standing— Uh, From the Washington Monument all the way to the Capitol, to the Ellipse, I mean, it was wall-to-wall people. We estimated somewhere between one and one and three-quarter million people, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: that was about as close as we could get. Now— they, the media, tried to say there was 30,000 people there. I, <laughs> I was there. I guarantee you that it was uh, somewhere north of a million people.
1: Mm-hmm. I talked with uh, Mike Nichols, who was a retired Oathkeeper police officer, who left the speech and went to the Capitol because the crowd was funneled to the Capitol. By uh, the the police movements. and uh, he is he's in the epic Times first documentary film about January sixth on film helping the police protect other police, right in trouble with some of these violent agitator types that probably were undercover agents. Mm -hmm.
0: and antifa and other negative groups
1: yeah Yeah, they weren't our kind of people but some of those people were violent and destructive and but anyway they were they had scared a bunch of cops inside and this this ex-oathkeeper police officer goes and helps the police save these guys on video okay it's just absolutely uh throws a lard ball in the gravy of this concocted notion that all these Trump people went there, and especially those doggone oath keepers. They went there to literally destroy our government and start it all over or whatever. But one, one guy in an ABC News documentary, which I have downloaded in case they ever want to correct it, um, a a fellow says, accused the Oath Keepers of going to the Capitol with assault rifles and handguns. Oh, I know. I
0: know. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And because he said that, and ABC News cameras put it in their documentary film, mm-hmm. a former 20-year veteran attorney general at the Department of Justice named Sweet Mary McCord, contacted this guy who said that lie publicly, knowing that he would make a good witness for the J6 Committee, she convinced Aiken Gump Law Firm in Washington, D.C. to fly this turkey out to Washington, D.C. and teach him how to talk to the J6 Committee which he did on July the 12th, 2022, and I, of course, downloaded that. But the the rabbit hole is very deep uh, uh, as to the purpose of the committee trying to instill in the, excuse me, crystallize in the public opinion the whole notion that the Trump crowd was trying to destroy America. Uh, throw over our whole legal system, our whole political system, the the whole government. That's what that's the message they've been promoting, and they've got people languishing in jail over this, and it's all a lie. Now, how did I know all of that? I just told you about Mary McCord. There's a lot more, and it's coming. It's going to be in my sequel, but the guy that was telling these lies to the committee actually wrote a book and published it this past february 2023 and it's called the perils of extremism and it's why he left the oath keepers and why oath keepers are dangerous anti-government racist bigoted very horrible militia dangerous militia that's what his book is about and who the hell wrote the foreword in that book (laughs) Miss Mary McCord herself, Mm -hmm. a former 20 year veteran of the DOJ, out now paying this guy through uh, Georgetown Law's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. They're paying this guy to teach law students, police departments, public gatherings, and in her words, other activists about how bad oath keepers are. Okay, so I'm sitting out here thinking, you know, laughing up my sleeve. She has told me everything I needed to know to tell you what I just shared with you in the foreword of his book, and I've got it right here in my hand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm I am not afraid. We're, we're, we're going to get our country back because these lives are so heavy, top-heavy, and out of kilter, out of balance, off-center. They're going to fall of their own damn dead weight because they nothing but lies. And we, those of us who value our souls, will live to see this. The, this corruption is going to end. Now, that's only... That's not a prediction. That's just how I'm feeling about things, okay?
0: (laughs) I think you're right on, uh, Elias. And incidentally, uh, we should mention the fact that you wrote a a book uh, that was just published within the last year called Oath Keepers Targeted Red uh, about how the uh, the left and how the the uh, big government uh, stooges that are promoting all these lies about uh, everything, from uh, America being an American to uh, oath keepers to their purpose, everything else, uh, how this whole thing has been, uh created as a way to demonize something that was meant to be quite good.
1: Yes indeed. Yes indeed. Uh the name of the book, Oath Keepers Targeted Red. Uh, it's written like a it's written like a novel. It is classed as uh, political fiction and it's packed with resources, uh documentation, uh uh, uh everything I've said in that book uh is the proof of where I got it is in the book too so and anybody nobody has yet offered to argue with me about anything I wrote in that book but uh it is probably not not going to be well received by Liz Cheney and some others <laughs> and well and only you know i pray for them. i, I apologize guys but uh i had to say it because it's true <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: absolutely yeah. well you and i are all we've been on the same page for a long time we've we've done projects together we know a lot of the same people um we've uh kind of mutually introduced uh friends of ours to one another over the years i uh, you you asked me to be one of your uh one of your keynote speakers at your first oath keeper event that you held in uh helena montana i think in 2009 or 2010 yeah. and uh you know so we've had a long association <laughs> with this stuff and one thing i am going to say with all stuart rhodes faults and he does have a few The one thing that you would not say about Stuart Rhodes is that he was not a uh, a legitimately proud American who wanted the very, very best for the country and wanted to avoid the kind of things that they've—exactly what they've tried to accuse him of. And that is— Uh, subverting the government, uh, destroying the Constitution. As a matter of fact, everything he tried to do was to support the Constitution.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, back to the mental militia there, uh, uh, Stuart Rose joined the mental militia online discussion group over two years before he got the idea to have Oath Keepers. Uh, he joined in 2006, and I, so I was watching the guy's post, uh, watching his articles and comments and things on my own website for two years or more before he created Oathkeepers. When he asked me to drive down to the Nevada and attend the uh, incorporation meeting, October of Honan. I did that, so I am a founding board member, and I call myself a co-founder with him because he couldn't have founded the corporation without the board, and uh, there were several of us there. All, all the board members, the originals, were there in person, and it, it became a wonderful, wonderful idea It spread across America very rapidly Within just a year's time, we had over 30,000 members nationwide, chapters in every state. We were busy little beavers just trying to get the thing uh, get the thing under control to where we're getting membership packets in the mail on time to people that sent dues, payments in and all this. And we were taking in a lot of money from the public, and we were doing a lot of good things with the money. And growing like crazy, it was wonderful. There are many, many thousands of oath keepers all across the American society, and they're they're EMTs, they're firemen, they're police officers, sheriffs, deputies, police chiefs, and sheriffs. They're military guys and girls. There, and there's a lot of oath keepers who never even took the oath. They didn't join the military, didn't hire on to to a government job, didn't have to take that oath. But we'd come to our rallies, like the one you spoke at in Helena, they'd come to our rallies, and we would give oath ceremonies there. And they could stand up and raise that hand, take an oath, which we held to be a sacred obligation, once you take that oath, you have a sacred obligation to honor that oath. And we were teaching police and military and all government employees that take the oath to honor their oath and study the Constitution, which the oath is sworn to. It ain't sworn to the damn government. Okay, that Stuart Rhodes informed me about that, and he was right. This oath is sworn to the Constitution itself, mm-hmm. not to the government that came out of the Constitution, because as we see, corrupt individuals can worm their way into political offices, but the paper itself, that Constitution, is impervious to change. It is the written word and will of the American people, and it is unchangeable. And that's what the oath was sworn to. Well, our, automatically, the deep state, as soon as we formed Oath Keepers, the deep state were bunkers. Uh, they gotta be out to stop this. Because my God, we were teaching police and soldiers to actually question their orders, to be sure they're gonna be following a constitutional order. And no authoritarian regime anywhere can ever tolerate the the lower guys in the chain of command questioning orders from the upper guys in the chain of command. They cannot handle that. Our own generals, the Joint Chiefs, will tell you, (laughs) no, we we have to have our orders followed immediately, and if somebody doesn't like that order, well, they can fill out a form and send it a request mask, send it up the chain of command afterwards. But the first thing they gotta do is go do the damn order. I mean, that's, that's our way. It's all government ways. Uh, <laughs> so they hated Oath Keepers. They really turned the, the heat a notch when they decided to pinpoint Oath Keepers as a major instigator for whatever happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And man, I'm telling you, I, I'm in touch with people that were actually there, uh, police officers, oath keepers, that we, we we know the truth is on the way out. And mm-hmm. I'd like to salute the Epoch Times for doing the yeoman's share of the work on getting the truth out there. They're being very, very good.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I see that uh, our friend Mark Herr is on uh, with us. Uh, Mark joined us. Uh, Mark is the founder of uh, the Center for for uh, the Center for Self Governance, and uh, I want to uh, introduce Mark to the conversation. Mark, we. Uh, I'm here with Elias Alias, and uh, you know Elias from Montana, but uh, Elias was one of the original founders of Oath Keepers, and um, he has been involved in uh, trying to expose what's going on with the the vilification of Oath Keepers. Uh, the, the January 6th Commission and others that are trying to Uh, Well, they basically have destroyed uh, the Oath Keepers organization by uh, demonizing a group of people that went to the Capitol to try to help to make sure that the, uh, uh, the hearings proceeded in an orderly, organized way to look into the anomalies of the 2020 presidential election. And in fact, the Oath Keepers were one of the more, um, I would call it one of the more organized and uh, helpful groups to the um, uh, D.C. Police Department of any group there. So anyway, uh, Mark, welcome to the program. I know that we're talking about how the new establishment is actually the old uh, SDS and the old American Communist Party Mm -hmm. that was uh, rioting the uh, uh, groups that were burning down buildings and doing all the things back in the 60s that now they're in power, they're trying to shut up anybody who is trying to point out that the emperor has no clothes and point out the fact that the, uh, the Constitution is being violated on a, on a continual basis. So, Mark, welcome to the program. I know you've got a limited time to be with us. I want to give you the floor and let you say what you want to say.
2: Oh, hey, gentlemen, uh, just checking to see if you can hear me okay. Yep, hear you great. Well, thanks, gentlemen, for including me in your conversation. The Oath Keepers um, were uh, vilified uh, not only at the January 6 events, uh, but also in the Bundy standoff events in 2014 in uh, Nevada and in other cases. Um, the part of the issue that I see in, in that Particular instance is that oath keepers, mothers, election integrity people, uh, ranchers, um, Tea Party people from the Obama administration timeframe have nothing in common except for the weaponization of labels in government. And specifically, the labels extreme, white, hate, anti government. Those specific labels are buried in a lexicon created in March of 2009 by the Department of Homeland Security under the Obama administration. They did so in coordination with a private entity called the Southern Poverty Law Center, which um, this may be interesting to you guys, is that we have discovered that the Southern Poverty Law Center was involved uh, in coordinating with the FBI in the Bundy standoff events on April 12th, 2014. We also have uh, additional evidence of SPLC collaborating with the FBI to um, d- use a doctrine called the Honeypot Gaslight Doctrine, Will they infiltrate organizations like Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, Proud Boys, et cetera, and then they purposely set them up for failure. This is what happened in Malheur in 2016. They had 15 confidential human sources And there were 12 people from Bundy's side of the equation. So you had 27 people at the Malheur event, but 15 of them were confidential human sources that were coordinating with the FBI in collusion with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, this year, January, an FBI whistleblower released a document, an eight-page document from Richmond FBI Department that indicated that they were using the Southern Poverty Law Center's private list of hate groups, which includes Oath Keepers, while using eight of the members of that 1,200 person or group list to justify using confidential human sources. So what they did in 14, 16, what they did for January 6th, what they did for uh, uh, this year for the uh, uh, Catholics practicing their religion in Richmond. And then on June 6th of this year, Southern Poverty Law Center labeled 340,000 mothers in hate groups, anti-government, white supremacists. So what do mothers, oath keepers, ranchers, militia, tea partiers, election integrity people have in common? They don't have the same issue in common, Dan. What they do have in common is the weaponization of labels and government. And I would like to finish by saying, it's really important for your audience and the American people as a whole to understand this is a uniting opportunity uh, when Donald Trump was, uh, uh, his mugshot, uh, I gotta tell you guys in the BIPOC black indigenous people of color community, when that happens to you, you become part of the family because for their group, this is something that happens to them on a regular basis. And so for Donald Trump, uh, he's now part of the brotherhood in that community. And that's why so many from the BIPOC community are backing. So we have an opportunity as my point to unite Even though we don't have things in common regarding our missions, we all have one thing in common, that is SPLC is mobilizing the organizations like the FBI to honeypot us and inject confidential human sources into our organizations to set us up for failure, then to cancel us, then to censor us, imprison us, and in worst case scenarios like Ashley Babbitt and LaVoy Finnicum, kill us. So it's a uniting opportunity for all of us. And I, I just wanted to encourage you gentlemen about that point. Uh, it's starting to happen. People are, especially on the base between Democrats and Republicans and whatever there is, are starting to realize, you know what? We've we've been treated like political prostitutes for long enough. This is a uniting opportunity. And so these next 18 months, we ha- we have a really unique opportunity Uh, to unite behind stopping the weaponization of labels in government. And I think that ties into your conversation with the new establishment concerns. Um, Anyway, I I don't mean to ramble.
0: I apologize. No, no, you're doing great. And uh, Mark, just so our listeners know, you're mentioning the Southern Poverty Law Center. Most of our listeners are very familiar with them. But for those who aren't, talk a little bit about the the. Uh, the grounding and the foundation of the Southern Poverty Law Center and Morris Dees and the connections with the American Communist Party. So um, the
2: Southern Poverty Law Center created in the 1970s. Their argument is the fighting against white supremacy. Um, now, you got to understand that the white supremacy goes back to pre-Civil War time and the abolitionist movement through the Society of Friends and the Quakers. The abolitionist movement uh, believed, at least the Quaker and the Society of Friends believed that the Civil War had ended in 1865. However. Groups post-Civil War abolitionists seize the opportunity for slavery cultures like South Carolina and pro-slavery President Andrew Johnson as an opportunity to create post-Civil War abolitionist movement. So while the Society of Friends and the Quakers felt that the abolitionist movement had ended, that they had successfully ended the fight against slavery... The post-Civil War abolitionist, Don't Let a Crisis Go to Waste, for example, doesn't originate with Saul Alinsky. Okay? It, it's, it's on October 4th, 1865 in Boston, Massachusetts with the American Social Science Association created by pre-Civil War abolition, abolitionist Frank P. Sanborn. Frank P. Sanborn. So this gentleman uh, was connected in Connecticut and conquered to henry thoreau ralph waldo emerson and walt whitman transcendentalists okay and they were highly focused on continuing what they believed was post-civil war abolition so with with south carolina and segregation and black code and jim crow laws and lynchings This became their modus operandi for developing associations, or what they refer to as, in their own parlance, domestic-oriented elite organizations. I'm going to repeat this, domestic-oriented elite organizations, such as the American Bar Association, the National Education Association. American Historical Association, all created between the 1870s and the 1890s. And I could go on. There's there's about 30 of them. So when we talk about this kind of merging of the communist, collectivist, or socialist, progressive, all of those labels, um, a convergence begins around 1902. And by the 19, let's just skip ahead to the civil rights of 1964, then the Vietnam, and this convergence on environmentalism, restorative justice, um, animal rights, etc. The post-civil war abolitionist entered into a marriage between globalists, communists, and liberal humanists. These three different, if you will, religions joined forces to convert the United States. And one of those domestic oriented elite organizations was created by Morris D's, 1970s called the Southern Poverty Law Center. And it is basically their belief that they are post-Civil War abolitionists that have a relationship for two or three different agendas, globalism, communism, And liberal humanism. So Southern Poverty Law Center, beginning in the 90s, with Ruby Ridge, white supremacy, uh, honeypot gaslight. They convinced Randy Weaver Weaver to commit a crime, and then they used that to gaslight him to become a confidential human source to go into the area nation in the northern Idaho area. So this idea of what we see with the Oath Keepers in January six is not new. It is a, an expansion of their efforts from the 70s through the 90s, eventually through 2001, and redefining domestic terrorism so that it applies to all Americans. In this case, only Proud Boys, only Oath Keepers, and only the Three Percenters, or now Mothers, or Tea Partiers, or Donald Trump, or john birch society well or the red pill expo and my point is is that splc and their efforts they started building relationships with the fbi in the early 90s i now have evidence of splc's collusion in the 1995 oklahoma city bombings Mm -hmm. it's tied to Andreas Straussmeyer. And his connection to Timothy McVeigh at Elohim City, south of Oklahoma City, in early April of 2000, I'm sorry, 1995. So the SPLC has been involved in setting Americans up for failure, collaborating with the executive law enforcement organizations, providing intelligence to the Anti-Defamation League and media And then using those three institutions to create the impression that Stuart Rhodes and the founder of Oath Keepers that you have with you today are somehow domestic terrorists, domestic violent extremists, extreme white hate, anti-government, neo-Nazi, nativist, nationalist, fascist, constitutionalist, Christian hate groups. (laughs) My point is, is that SPLC and their collusion with the FBI is under investigation by the weaponization of the federal government committee headed up by Jim Jordan, uh, literally right now. So I'm going to DC in September and I'm bringing with me victims of the weaponization of government by the SPLC, evidence of SPLC's influence on local and state law enforcement, I've already provided them with the evidence of influencing at the federal level, and I'm going to start bringing solutions with action, specific, tangible things that we can do in terms of policy, reform, constitutional amendments, et cetera, bureaucratic reining in, bureaucratic bullying, et cetera, reducing the liability protections of SPLC when they are classified as a state actor in an official capacity, while using government to violate our civil liberties this is a massive problem and it is an opportunity for americans like you myself mothers tea partiers oath keepers you name it americans to unite to stop it
0: mm-hmm. great great uh elias what did uh i don't know if you uh knew mark uh from uh some of the events we did in montana but i i felt like it was important that he be on this call so that you could uh, get a chance to meet one another and at least talk about some of this stuff because uh elias wrote a great book it's uh called oath keepers targeted red and um i will arrange to get a copy to you mark because oh, thank you when you want to uh, when you want to explore the weaponization of government, when you go to Washington D.C., uh, some of what Elias and others can tell you are really, really important things to include. Now, um, let let's do this, Elias. Uh, very quickly, talk about how the the implants, the the inside agents uh, within. Oath Keepers. You have one in particular, and you mentioned him and his relationship uh, with this lady who's been doing all the filming about the evil of Oath Keepers. uh, uh, Talk a little bit about that so that you can uh, maybe fill Mark in on that.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, Mark, howdy. Good to see you. Nice to meet you. I really appreciated your monologue just now. Uh, you you got all your synapses are firing in really good harmony, and uh, I, I appreciate very much your your uh, perspective. Uh, I, you. I I don't even know where to start, but I have been to your website uh, several times, and uh, I've I never signed up for your course because I. Uh, I'm too busy living my own course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'm so proud of the work you're doing. And I will tell you I, I could tell you a personal little story about the founding legal counsel for SPLC who called me up one day and, and <laughs> called me on the phone. And said, Yeah, hey, you're editing, you're the editor for Oathkeeper's website. Uh, you've got a picture up there that belongs to the SPLC. And I thought, oh my goodness, I did it. So I got the I got the website up on the computer while I've got this guy on the phone, and I deleted that photograph and apologized to their founding legal counsel for not knowing that I was publishing someone else's photograph at SPLC. So we had a little bit of a a cordial chit for tat back and forth for a minute, but he was polite and he was happy that I just solved the problem. So a few months later, I was over at the SPLC website and I noticed by George, the SPLC had, and they're still there, one of my videos (laughs) on their (laughs) website without my permission. And so uh, the fun part of this was I called him back and and told him, listen, you guys got one of my videos on your website, but I don't want you to take it down. I want more people to see it. So just leave it up. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, they are so corrupt. And my biggest problem with them, Mark, is they're selling profiles on the American people, uh, subdividing cultural and social uh, segments of the population, painting, uh, uh, they're the profiling we the people and selling their ideas about what makes us tick to the damn Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security. FBI, the military—they're selling and making money for criticizing and falsely presenting what we the people actually are. And <laughs> but you know that's that's a biggie in my book. What do you think?
2: Should should nonprofits uh, originally when the nonprofit idea surfaced in the United States uh, in the '40s and the '50s? the concept of having a nonprofit was to help the American people. SPLC is considered a nonprofit. The conversation that we're having and the conversation I'm having with the 12 organizations of parents that were put on their list June of this year, they don't feel like they're, they feel like they're being hurt, not helped. So the question I'm asking Congress is should nonprofits, um, uh, If they're, if they're not helping the American people, should they have a nonprofit status? The second question I'm asking Congress is, When does a nonprofit cross into the realm of becoming an actual state actor, kind of like the CIA or the um, uh, KGB uh, or the Chinese intelligence service? Um, when When does SPLC transition from a nonprofit who's hurting American people in the name of their nonprofit mission And when do they cross over into functioning as a state actor within an official capacity? And should they have First Amendment protections that violate your and my First Amendment? I mean, I don't know what I you know I don't know all of your beliefs and et cetera. I don't know, but I do believe you're an American in America, and so as like a Roman Republic citizen or an American citizen, you have certain rights as a citizen to think, to say the things that you want to believe. Um, When does SPLC cross that line of violating our First Amendment, of of not actually being a helpful nonprofit, of becoming an official state actor that is now mobilizing government to harm American people? Those are the types of questions I'm asking Congress, but I'm also asking them at the state level. And I encourage all of your listeners, Dan – everyone including the oath keepers or whoever you are parents you name it if you're an american citizen and you've been hurt by the splc it is really important to find out what their influences are within your state government specifically at the attorney general level as well as the state bureau of investigation level and then secondly, at the local level, within the sheriff's departments and within the local police departments, how, are, how is SPLC training them? How much intelligence are they providing them? What kind of magazine? I just found out yesterday that SPLC sent a magazine to our county prosecutor's office, where I live, with, specifically with our organization listed according to them as anti-government. Now, I didn't know they sent the magazine until someone told me. But I don't have the same access to SPL, uh, to the, sorry, uh, to the county prosecutor as they do. And so I'm setting up in a meeting with the county prosecutor to say, I don't, this nonprofit exists in Alabama. I live here in your community. I just want you to know I am not anti government we are not going to blow you up we're not here to shoot you and kill you and destroy your families and tear down your buildings and fly planes into buildings and storm capitals and do all kind you know break windows and shoot at people we're we're anyway where does the line get crossed when sblc mm-hmm. is able to create this culture of i am a heretic and a witch who is a evil quaker that needs to be drowned or burned at the stake when do, we, when do we solve that problem as American citizens?
1: You know, it does come locally. And in the state of Montana, we have the Montana Human Rights Network, who goes to the SPLC websites, picks up their uh, talking points, and then publish, and they send SPLC stuff to the local law enforcement in all the counties around the state of Montana, which is, yeah. Would you yeah. guys
2: be willing to? Would you guys be willing to collect that information for me? I need it has to be tangible, factual. It can't be speculative. If, I, if you can send me that evidence, I'm taking that kind of evidence with me to Washington, D.C. on September 18th through the 22nd. I'm meeting with member, literally senators and congressmen who have been labeled and are focused on by SPLC, like Senator Josh Hawley, Senator Kramer from North Dakota. I'm meeting with Senator, uh, Congressman Matt Goetz, who is on their list, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, et cetera. <clears throat> I will take that evidence with me and compile it with other states, like South Carolina, Tennessee, for example. In Tennessee, we just discovered that there's a former ATF agent who is now a police lieutenant in the Franklin Police Department, directly communicating with the SPLC and trying to convince the city council or the city manager to hire an SPLC investigator for their regional crime center. (laughs) So this is such an important issue that we have put our finger, what I believe, on the cancer of the tumor in the body politic, and it involves nonprofits who are post-Civil War abolitionists who have figured out how to build relationships with bureaucrats who agree with them and are sympathetic and have circumvented congressional and state legislative authority and violating our constitutional rights by advancing their post-Civil War abolitionist agenda. And I, I intend to take evidence of what they're doing in your state, Washington State, Idaho, Utah, Tennessee, Missouri, Illinois, South Carolina, and New Jersey with me to D.C. on September 18th.
0: That's dynamite. And Mark, I can tell you firsthand of something that happened uh, the, that I saw. And that is we had our first Red Pill Expo in Bozeman, Montana in 2017. And at, uh, toward the end of that program, there was an article in uh, the Bozeman Daily Chronicle that was written by a young man who said he got his information from the Montana Human Rights Network and they labeled us as an alt-white white supremacist group. Now yep. we we had Cynthia McKinney and Sherry Peel Jackson and Robert Kiyosaki as speakers at that event and we were uh labeled as an all-white uh white supremacist group it does and that's the key
2: it's kind of like the puritans in the 1630s through the 1690s in Massachusetts, Quakers, Catholics, Baptists, and other religions were starting to, to immigrate into their state, if you their colony, and they were concerned about their influence, their power, their control of government, and even though it's a religious example, it still is human nature, so it applies to what you're describing, Dan. The Puritans began labeling them heretics and witches. They started burning their properties, stripping them, beating them, raping them, doing crazy things, and then eventually convinced the general court of Massachusetts to pass laws to imprison them and execute Quakers in particular. Now, how does that apply to today? These people are doing the same thing. They have a different religion. Okay, It's not the same thing as Puritans, but it's still a religious belief. They are carrying out their religion and mobilizing or weaponizing state against us. So it's really important that we understand that the labels, domestic terrorist, domestic violent extremist, are federal labels. Extreme, white, hate, anti-government, alt-right, right-wing, far-right are private labels. But where they intersect is at the domestic violent extremism label. So anyway, I know that's a lot to unpack, but the labels are the key. The (laughs) labels are the source of how they are able to weaponize government against Stuart Rhodes and, and the proud boys founder and Eric Parker, the uh, real 3% Idaho founder of of Idaho, et cetera, et cetera, is the labels themselves and the collaboration they have between the media and bureaucrats within certain law enforcement entities like the attorney general's office or your local law enforcement sheriff or police departments. And we have a solution to stop them. And it starts with collecting the evidence and sending it to D.C. And I would suggest that in in Montana, that you guys have access you have very favorable conditions by which you can communicate the weaponization of labels in government in your state and i would love to help you guys accomplish that in the state of montana
0: i will send you the actual article that was written in the uh, bozeman chronicle and um i it has the author in there he told me that he got his information directly from the Montana Human Rights Network, who collaborates on a regular basis with the SPLC. And incidentally, the the damage that was done was that this organization, this place, the facility where we held this uh, conference, this red pill conference, told us that we, their consistory got together and they told us that we were no longer, uh, we were no longer welcome at their facility because we were that group that were uh, described in the Bozeman Daily Chronicle. Yes, that was exactly how they do it. They they yes. marginalize. They they uh, create. Earth is the label. Yep. Yep. And then and then with the label is
2: the definition, and so they honeypot you to prove that you fit the da- the label. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when they stormed the Capitol on January 6th, all the media had to do was say insurrection, domestic terrorism, yeah. domestic violent extremist, far right, right wing, alt right, white supremacy. They just repeat the labels. Right. And so it's really important that we understand the labels, the definitions, and the connection between the federal government, the state government, and organizations like Montana Human Rights and their connection to splc now here's the, here's a the key so i used to do military stuff and so things like fingerprints and dna and stuff like that are really important the splc's fingerprints and dna are all over the united states when it comes to these weaponized labels mm-hmm. their dna is all over the weaponization of the fbi regarding the uh, uh, catholics in richmond regarding the uh, the moms in uh, June 6, SPLC met with Biden administration officials 11 times this year's specifically on parents as threats to national security. So when they label you alt-right, or they label Oath Keepers, or they label moms, or they label the Tea Party, the key is, is our missions are different, but This is where we can unite. This is what we have in common. We are all being labeled. Candace Owens is the new face of white supremacy. Myra Flores, the new face of white supremacy, right? Kiyosaki, new face of white supremacy. My point is, for them, the agenda is more important than the actual fact of the label itself. We can stop. At that point, we can stop. We can rephrase, reframe and regain control of the labels themselves, but it requires us to unite. And that is the hardest point when all of our missions are different, but I'm I'm working very hard on a daily basis to find ways for folks to work together on this so that you can enjoy your First Amendment liberties and and pursue your ideas and beliefs in the way that you see fit. This is one large scale cooperation effort that I think is worth our energy, our time, our money, our focus, our Conferences, whatever it takes uh, to safeguard your First Amendment, even though I might disagree with some of the stuff you believe, which I don't really know. I'm not saying I do. I don't know. I have no clue. I'm just saying I believe in your First Amendment. I believe in your Second Amendment. I believe in your freedom of religion. And I'm willing to defend that against post-Civil War abolitionists who have become the Puritans of the 21st century, weaponizing the labels of heretics and witches against us.
0: I agree. Well, uh, Mark, if you would not mind, I will send you a copy of that article that was I really appreciate that. And that was uh, six years ago. I still have a copy of it because I found it the other day. Um, and I will do a little bit of a cover letter with that. And incidentally, uh, Harriet Hageman is one of the people on that January 6th committee. And Harriet was one of the speakers at that event she was one of the first speakers at that wow
2: event. can you would you would you send me um is it possible for you to send me the speakers list and in, in addition to the article Absolutely. because I've, I've i have met with her personally on this mm-hmm. i've met with her chief of staff and i've met with her legislative council um i think it's really important that she understands how powerful
0: splc's mm-hmm. Absolutely, and DNA are on this issue. Absolutely. And uh, Harriet is a personal friend, and I'm a huge supporter of her when she ran for that uh, uh, position in Congress. I supported her very strongly. She is a very uh, pro-freedom of speech person, and I guarantee you she would find that article very interesting because she was part of the event. Well, so I can make go. I
2: can make the case, and if you're willing to uh, copy her or communicate with her to let her know, we are coming back to D.C. in September with this evidence and additional. I'm bringing victims from the Bundy standoff, where the, we have recently discovered within the last three months SPLC's influence on the FBI at the Bundy standoff. We also have evidence that the. FBI, sorry, the Bureau of Land Management did not have a court order to seize Cliven Bundy's cows. Mm -hmm. This is really important information about this event. The people who went to prison for that, the BLM violated their own inward facing laws regarding service of notice regarding the seizure of the cattle impoundment. And people served prison time for that. I'm taking three of those who have nothing to do with the Bundys. They were militia three percent kind of oath keeper guys, went to prison for that. And they are in the midst of a lawsuit because the ev- the government cannot provide the evidence that they were that they lawfully served Clive and Bundy for his cattle impoundment wow and so everything that splc because all of their training and intelligence after 2014 was that the bundy standoff was a domestic terrorism event Mm -hmm. that this was alt-right white supremacy neo-nazi nativist nationalist fascist domestic terrorist and the fact of the matter is we now have a wooten memo of 252 pages from the lead investigator himself who's never been interviewed by congress and and dan i have been trying to convince harriet they need to interview this guy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he was a credible lead investigator and he saw the constitutional violations himself even though he disagreed with the bundy's on the cattle impoundment he was he was a constitutional minded first amendment investigator not not an evil damn love guy Mm -hmm. sorry Mm -hmm. but if we could get harriet to realize they have the opportunity to interview this whistleblower he will not he will not be interviewed by me or anyone until he goes under oath Mm mm-hmm Okay. So good. so so if we can get him under oath, he's willing to testify. We already have his two hundred and fifty-two page whistleblower document that we've been releasing. We've passed it on to Congress now. I'm taking three of the victims of the weaponization of SPLC and FBI's collusion to D.C. in September, along with two Democrat mothers who are targeted by Antifa from Chattanooga because of SPLC's labeling on June 6th of this year. And I'm bringing a whole bunch of other stuff. So anything you can provide yeah. me, gentlemen, to help with this effort in terms of Congress or evidence or victims um, uh, will be in D.C. September 18th through the 22nd. Um, okay, good. Sorry for the be, rant, down. man.
0: <laughs> no i will do that and uh please send me your uh just text me your e your uh, mailing address i'll send you actual copies of some of this information please and do along with
2: a speaker list from that event in 2017 that shows that harriet was there
0: well i definitely will okay good elias so much, what do you gentlemen. think about this
1: <laughs> dan uh, listen share his mailing address. I'm going to send him an autographed copy of my book knowing he won't have time to read 588 pages between now and his trip to Washington. But Mark, <laughs> uh, you're going to probably really get a kick out of my book. Uh, I'm dealing with all kind of things that you're just very professionally organizing into your own monologue here. But uh took me a long time of writing a lot of pages for what you've said in about 20 minutes here.
0: <laughs> so. well, and, and, Mark, I want to mention the fact that Elias was uh, with Stuart Rhodes down in Nevada uh, around that time frame. Elias?
1: Yeah, I, I, I gave the Oath Keepers anniversary with, uh, oath ceremony on the speaking platform at Bundy Ranch. And um, I I spoke with Cliven Bundy about five or six weeks ago for about an hour uh, because I had a question or two for him about my next book. I like to be sure I have everything uh, documented and, and verified. So I was talking with him about the fact that he had tried to pay grazing fees to the county, to Clark County, Nevada, because he was saying, my cows are not grazing on federal land. They're grazing on Nevada land. And so he actually did get one check cleared through the uh, Clark County. And when he went, then the, uh, the uh, BLM got involved at that point, And when he went to pay the next check for grazing fees, the county office told him they couldn't take his check okay so you know but i, I just love hearing you talk mark you're you're covering uh, with uh, very good legal perspectives uh, uh like legal avenues of organized organized presentations and you're taking it to the uh the root of all evil the, the swamp in dc uh, i would try to be very helpful i can i can tell you that the splc has uh mentioned me a few times i i will try to get a law enforcement conter- current serving law enforcement to talk about the regular input from splc that please comes- do comes through Montana human rights Network that, is, That's,
2: that would that oh, would be fantastic.
1: I'll see if I can. I cannot promise this. well, let I'm, me ask you this can you
2: would you be willing to look to see um, if any of the county prosecutors or the law enforcement uh, police departments, sheriff's departments receive um, a magazine? from SPLC or the intelligence report from SPLC with the specific address of the law enforcement as the mailing address. If you can give me the magazine with the mailing address from SPLC to that law enforcement, I I desperately need that evidence.
1: Okay, very good. Now, I cannot promise I can do that, but I will look into Exhausting all possibilities in hopes that I can do that for you. Of course. You. Uh, what, what,
0: Mark? What is the name of their magazine? Um, so I just found this
2: out yesterday, and the individual is looking through the materials today. They don't, they couldn't remember the name. They just knew it was the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm assuming it might be the Intelligence Report, which is also a newspaper, um, but it it could be it could be part of their Intelligence Report project, uh, as a magazine as well. Um, uh, so I don't know the specific name of the magazine
0: is my point. Okay. Well, I, uh, I will check with my County, Madison County and see if, uh, if they do, because I, you know, I served as a County commissioner here, uh, and I certainly have the right to, uh, ask for that. So.
2: yeah ask them to look through their archives or their recycle pile um, it, may, it could be it could be in the circulars of other uh, uh, in, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. pre-sorted first-class junk mail of magazines. There's one called Liberty and there's something from the ADL, but anyway, anything related to SPLC that has the address of your law enforcement or your County prosecutor uh, that shows SPLC sending information to try to influence their behavior, to influence their decision-making I think is, uh, would be very helpful to what we're trying to do in DC in September. And by the way, we're going to be going to DC in January, and we are going to be premiering our film about the Nevada trials, Uh, once uh, Cliven Bundy was arrested after uh, Ammon Bundy was found not guilty in in Malheur in October of 2016, we're going to be uh, uh, unveiling our film about the Nevada trials that talks about the Wooten Memo, the destruction of property, Dan Love violating the U.S. Attorney's orders not to escalate, the withholding of evidence regarding snipers, uh, the infiltration of the SPLC and their collaboration with the FBI and all of this information that the American public was not given at the time and then SPLC used afterwards to justify raising money, to justify uh, increasing their credibility and justify giving intelligence and training to law enforcement organizations across all 50 states, including uh, Washington State Attorney General Ben Ferguson, the Michigan Attorney General Nessel, uh, and I would uh, obviously say the Montana Human Rights in Montana.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'm sure you're familiar too with the fact that uh, uh, Ammon Bundy was uh, recently arrested at an event where he went to uh, uh, celebrate his son's uh, participation in some high school po- uh, sporting event and so these I things am. are continuing they're they're going on right now as we speak so it is and uh, with the indictment of uh, four indictments
2: of a former president unprecedented two impeachments fake russian collusion crossfire hurricane was found to be false. Um, I, I can tell you that the BIPOC community the black indigenous people of color are starting to flip over to Donald Trump's side in vast numbers. I'm seeing it happen in Washington and across the United States. If you watch Twitter it's not good for the bad guys um, but uh, they're going to become more vigilant and more determined because uh, I've seen them triple down quadruple down. So we need to link arms as Americans first. Our mission should come second while we agree to stop the scourge of the weaponization of labels in government against our first amendment, our second amendment, against black people, Hispanic people, white people, it doesn't matter what kind of people you are. It's an American problem and we can join forces to stop it.
0: Amen. Amen, brother. Okay, well, good. Thank you for, uh, for that. Uh, great information and anyone who has uh, do you want to give an address to anyone that might have information that would be absolutely to you
2: okay go ahead absolutely if you believe that you have been victimized or know somebody who's been victimized by the weaponization of labels and government, through the SPLC or outward-facing laws of the Bureau of Land Management, go to our website, centerforselfgovernance.com forward slash P-W-O-G. That stands for the Political Weaponization of Government. It's very simple. There's an affidavit that you can download. We won't collect your data. You put your story on there. Don't be uh, complaining. Don't just tell a bunch of information. Make sure you provide evidence. Try to keep it to one page. Be very succinct. Identify the specific entities involved in the weaponization of labels and government against you. And then forward that to the Weaponization of Government Committee in Washington, D.C., The address is already laid out for you. The instructions are very clear. It's very simple. If you want to learn more about the weaponization of labels in government, go to our same website, forward slash PWOL. That stands for the Political Weaponization of Labels. So go to PWOG, P-W-O-G for the affidavit. If you know someone or you personally have been victimized by the weaponization of labels in government, or if you want to learn more about it, go to PWOL, P-W-O-L to learn more about the weaponization of labels in government and what other states are doing to combat it, to stop it in its tracks in the 21st century. Mm
0: -hmm. And that is the Center for Self-Governance. Yes, sir. Correct. Okay. Dynamite. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate all you do. And we will try to follow up on this. I will find out as much as I can. And uh, Elias, what did you want to bring up?
1: Well, before before everybody draws the curtains down, um, Mark, I hate to tell you, my friend, but I'm just drafting you into the mental militia. So <laughs> you're in big trouble now. Be uh, late- well,
2: you know, Southern Poverty Law Center labeled us anti-government in 2021, and then. Amazon smile canceled our organization, but we were already prepared because we've been studying SPLC for the last seven years. And we've (laughs) gone so, so far as to identify all the organizations and corporations that they are members of in order to provide a veto, which includes Inventbrite, PayPal, YouTube, Facebook, Google, Amazon smile, et cetera. We've identified all of the universities that they are providing funding to and research like the university of Berkeley's center for right-wing studies, the DHS Emeritus Program at the University of Maryland, the American University, Georgetown University. We've identified all of their researchers and so-called SPLC reachers like, like Cynthia Idris Miller, J.J. McNabb, Jeff Tischler, Richard Cohen, etc. We've identified all of their collaboration with media through the Associated Press's 55th Anniversary Style Guide. So our understanding of SPLC is this. They are a post-Civil War abolitionist group weaponizing labels like the Puritans did against the Quakers. They don't care who you are. If, if they hate your guts and they don't agree with you, they will label you an extreme white anti-government terrorist collaborate with the Biden administration, weaponize the FBI, use your attorney general and get your sheriff and county prosecutor to surveil you and target you. And if we don't stop it in our lifetimes, our children are going to suffer because of it. So it's time for us to join hands regardless of our missions and stop the weaponization of labels in government.
0: That's a beautiful message and I couldn't agree more. Mark, thank you. Uh, this has been a great discussion and we will try to get as much information to you as we can.
2: Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate meeting you, Elias, and I am look forward to working with you and all Americans uh, in the 21st century so that we can keep our republic, we can balance our liberty, and we can enjoy our freedoms as we were trying to do before this all began.
1: You got my grateful salute Mark and i uh, will be glad to join in with you. So have Thank a you. very good trip to the DC.
0: Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. You you got to you've got to have a thick skin go to the swamp but uh I when you started talking about that uh Mark it it just popped into my mind that thing about the uh uh Montana Civil uh Human Rights Network Contributing to that Chronicle article that got us booted out of the facility that we had our first red pill event, and the fact that Harriet Hageman was one of the speakers of that very first event, and she that, loved it. Wow. I have to tell you, she was there for the entire two days and had the time of her life. So, well, you know, Dan, if, if, if we could
2: if we could convince her to inv- to interview. Larry Wooten from the BLM lead investigator, if we could convince her to bring SPLC to the uh, oath table for the weaponization of government committees hearings, if we could convince her that SPLC's DNA and fingerprints are behind all of this, I think that we have a shot within the next year and a half to make some significant dents, uh, if not Totally undermine the foundation of the weaponization of labels and government in the United States. As a scourge, it's a scourge on our culture. It's a Absolutely. toxic, toxic disease that needs to be detoxed from our culture.
0: Well, I have to tell you, if I can connect those dots, I'll feel like I've done the best job possible of connecting dots. I'll see what. Thank I you can so do. much. I'm so I'm so thankful we had the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. I am, too. Well, uh, gentlemen, we're out of time, and it looks like uh, James is ready to take over for the campaign show. Uh, Elias, it's always an absolute pleasure, my friend. Mark, the same with you. Uh, I want to make sure that our listeners get a hold of both of you at your websites. Mark, yours is the Center for Self-Governance. And uh, Elias, yours is, give, a, give us your website.
1: <laughs> I, I don't have a website yet, Dan. I do, I do have the shell up on new servers and starting to build it this past week. So okay. not any way. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, buy my book at Amazon.com, Targeted Red by Franklin Shook. And leave a comment there. And uh, after you buy the book and like it, leave a comment uh, 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 and we'll get together from there.
0: Okay. And I will share Mark's uh, information with you. Um, I think this might be a very, very beneficial relationship. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we got together because I somehow I thought that you had met Mark before, but uh, this is obviously a, a, a beautiful uh, future relationship because you're both on the same track on trying to put honesty back in our government. Gentlemen, thank you again for being our guest today, and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks for having me, Dan. Nice to meet you, Elias. Bye. (laughs) Okay, Elias, I'll be back in touch with you a little bit later. We'll visit. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee,
1: across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining
0: sea.
2: From Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.